This is the Self Storage Podcast, where we share the knowledge and skills from the industry's leading investors, developers, and operators to help you launch and grow your self-storage business. I'm your host, Scott Myers, and over the past 16 years, we have acquired, developed, converted, and syndicated over 2 million square feet of self-storage nationwide with the help of my incredible team at selfstorageinvesting.com, who has helped thousands of people achieve greatness in self-storage. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Self Storage Podcast. I am your host, Scott Myers, and this week's guest is Paul Moore. Paul is the managing partner of Wellings Capital, a private equity real estate firm. After college, he started his career in management at Ford Motor Company and then launched and eventually sold a staffing company five years later. After reaching financial independence at the age of 33 and a brief retirement, Paul began investing in real estate in the year 2000 to protect and grow his own wealth. He completed over 85 real estate investments and exits, appeared on HGTV's House Hunters, rehabbed and managed dozens of rental properties, built a number of new homes, developed a subdivision, and started two successful online real estate marketing firms. After three successful commercial developments, including a Hyatt hotel and a very successful multifamily project in 2010, he has now committed all his efforts in commercial real estate. Paul is the author of The Perfect Investment, Create Enduring Wealth from a Historic Shift to Multifamily Housing, which launched in 2016, and has a forthcoming book on self-storage investing, which is why we have Paul on the show. Paul also co-hosts a wealth-building podcast called How to Lose Money, and he's been a featured guest on over 150. 50 podcasts. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Paul Moore. Hey, Paul, good to see you again. Welcome to the show. It's great to see you, Scott. Man, it's an honor to be here. Like one of my heroes and I'm on your podcast. This is amazing. <laughs> well, I, I view us as contemporaries, but I appreciate the compliment and it's been a long time coming and glad we were able to uh, finally sync our schedules. And, you know, we, we, we see each other in passing and we we're just together at a mastermind down in Florida. And so I'm glad that we made the time to get on each other's calendar so that we could sit down and have a little conversation and learn a little bit more about what you're doing. I've, um, I've given you or given everyone our your background. Gosh, Richie, I'm going to redo that again. So I've given the introduction to everybody in the beginning, but why don't you fill in the gaps and let us know what you've been up to recently? Yeah. So, I mean, I, like you said, I, I got out of, you know, engineering school, MBA, went to Ford Motor Company, all that stuff. But when I sold my company to a publicly traded firm about 20 years ago, and you, you and I, you know, have a, a dear friend who worked together with me at that point. And um, I didn't know the first thing about investing. And so I've been on a 21-year quest to learn the difference between investing and speculating. You know, speculating is when your principal is not at all safe and you've got a chance to make a return. And investing is when your principal is safe, generally at least safe, and you've got a chance to make a return. And there are so many ways to speculate and kid yourself into believing you're investing. And one of those ways is in the arena of due diligence. If we don't do enough due diligence on partners, on sponsors, on deals, that can turn up what should have been an investment into a speculation. And so my company, Wellings Capital, we are due diligence partners for hundreds of investors who wish they had the time or the resources or the knowledge to dive deeply into, you know, these sponsors, these operators, syndication, these deals, we go out and vet them. And then we put them in a fund and then we invest and our investors invest alongside of us. And then we, you know, ride those out together over sometimes three, five, seven, or 10 years. So that's what we do. 
Well, no, I, I know you've been focused um, primarily in self-storage. Is that the only thing you invest in in the fund or are you looking at other asset classes as well? We love investing in asset types, asset classes that have mom and pop operators where we can pay them a premium or you know, a full fair price for their assets, allow them to move on, and then upgrade them to be much better, higher net operating income, potentially lower cap rate, and where we give our investors an outsized return. So we found that in self-storage first, and we found that same type of uh, uh, curve, if you will, that same type of opportunity in mobile home parks. So our funds consist of self-storage and mobile home parks. We're looking at RV parks. We're looking at senior housing, things like that as well. But that's where we're focused right now. So you've taken this capital in and uh, these folks have entrusted their capital and their then returns, future returns to you. Tell us about the management side. You're buying three different asset classes. Uh, do you have management in-house? Are you hiring third-party property managers? Are you doing joint ventures and then overseeing the management of these projects? Uh, give, us, give us an idea of what that looks like as far as um, you know, how you're managing these projects. Yeah, you know, and I, I hate to compare myself to someone like Warren Buffett, but we are following the Buffett model. So Buffett will go out and he'll find a fabulous jockey. In other words, the management team, uh, people who have built a business, people who have a great brand, a great business, a durable advantage, and then he'll invest heavily in them. That might mean acquiring them like he did Clayton Homes. Mm -hmm. It might mean getting a small percentage of them like Apple, where he has, he's the largest shareholder, I think at 5% mm -hmm. of the shares. Uh, and I know it's the largest Berkshire holding, but it's only 5% of Apple. And so uh, he'll trust the management team. He'll trust the jockey to train the horse. And that's what we do as well. We used to be focused in multifamily on geographies like South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky. But now we're really trusting these great operators. And if they say, hey, I've got a great opportunity in Ramsey, Minnesota, outside of Minneapolis, we love them, we trust them, and we put our money on them. And they do all the asset management, get the loan, they do the property management or oversee it. And then we are basically like, like a large LP investor with them. Perfect, perfect. So as we as we head into 20, the, the balance of 2021 and into 2022, does that model still work or are you pivoting? And if so, in what ways? Um, we think the model works. We think that there's a growing interest in syndications. Uh, we think there's a growing interest in, you know, both self-storage and mobile home parks. I see a lot more self-storage offerings than I had in the past. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially like you have taught me years ago when the four D's are happening and there's certainly a, a good bit of that with COVID, mm -hmm. uh, you know, especially a lot of people relocating and downsizing and moving. And, you know, there's unfortunately some health issues and death and all that. It's a great time for self storage. Mm -hmm. And so we think that the opportunity is as strong as ever mobile home parks, you know, they're, they're the only asset class we know of that have a shrinking supply and an increasing demand every year. There's 10,000 people turning 65 every day and six out of 10 have less than $10,000 saved for retirement. And so 
mobile home parks and even self-storage as part of that equation are really good opportunities for them as they downsize or maybe right size into a mobile home, use that home equity to buy the mobile home, and then they can enjoy their life. Some mobile home parks have BMWs parked and you know newer BMWs parked there. Uh, and that's their choice. It's not because they have to live there, but they're choosing to live there and have an easier lifestyle. I know a very successful doctor to move to a mobile home park and has a great flexible lifestyle now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, we are shifting as a, a society and looking at uh, what is important to us uh, right now. And everybody is getting more educated and very more self-aware of um, not only what is important, but um, of those things that are important in life, you know, how much right. money it's going to cost <laughs> to enjoy those things until the end of life and doing the math, yeah. whereas uh, previous generations uh, weren't so much. And uh, we are absolutely right seeing that uh, in the self-storage sector as well. So you know, one of the things that I wanted to touch on, shifting gears a little bit, Paul, is that um, I was on your podcast a while back with regards to, in the, in the entire podcast and all the guests come on and talk about their biggest mistakes because that's, that's where we learn and that's who we learn from is uh, yeah. not from people or everybody's experiences of success. You know, the, you know, you can swing a cat on the internet and find uh, all kinds of folks that are, you know, crushing it and driving Lambos, right. uh, but you don't hear too many people standing up and professing, um, hey, here's the mistakes I made, um, or here's the big mistake I made where I lost it all. That's pretty rare. So uh, I appreciate your transparency and, and candidness and, and being humble uh, enough to start a whole podcast on that. So, you know, from that, you know, obviously that's born out of your experiences as well. But tell me what you learned from having so many guests on that show and, and their experiences of, uh, of loss and, and some, not, not that they are failures, but the failures that they no, right. achieved in, in, in business. You know, tell me how you learned and grew from that. Yeah. So when we started the How to Lose Money podcast, we were really wanting, you know, I used to go to these father-daughter retreats mm -hmm. and the guys would get up and say, look at our amazing family. Here's all the pictures of us at the Grand Canyon or Yellowstone or Europe. And, and the guys sitting around the table, we would sit there and go, man, they look like they've got it all together. I wonder if they have any troubles or problems. And I actually had guys say, well, I'll never be that good. I'll never be that good of a husband and father. I think I maybe, I just feel like giving up. And so we started asking after seven years of going to these retreats, hey, can you tell us about your mistakes, failures, problems, difficulties, challenges? And they were deer in the headlights. I mean, they literally, I, I wish I had it on video the time somebody asked them and pressed the point. None of the guys on stage would answer it. One guy even said, my biggest struggle in life is to communicate my vision to the next generation of millennials. And it's like, really? So anyway, I thought, man, if I ever got to know these people or got on stage, I bet you I'd know more about them. Well, it turned out we got to know one of the families that was on stage all the time. And they had the same problems we did. And I was so encouraged. I actually felt hope. And I thought, man, if I ever start a, I didn't think podcast. I said, if I ever was on a stage, I would start telling the truth. Well, that stage became the How to Lose Money podcast. We interviewed 238 people and we learned that all, not almost, I'd say everybody who succeeds has painful failures and setbacks and losses. A lot of them have broken families and horrible things happen to them, but they, they turn out either bitter or better. And I think everybody on our show hopefully was better. One lesson we learned 
and this is going to sound funny. It sounds funny to me to say it. One lesson we learned was never give up. Always keep going. Always press through. And everybody listening right now is probably like, yeah, no surprise. The other lesson we learned almost with equal force was make sure you quit early. <laughs> make sure you give up early. Cut your losses and move on. And it was like, really, I was thinking, well, wait, that doesn't sound right. And so we were trying to, we were almost, we, we were thinking about writing a book called How to Lose Money. We have part of it written. Mm -hmm. And uh, the co-host and I realized, you know, if you're on the wrong path and you know it, cut your losses and quit right now. Mm -hmm. I can think of a time where I invested with some friends. We invested 395000 I think, into a, a, a deal that within six months, we knew was bad. If we would have stopped right then, I think we could have given the investors, I was the largest, back about 250 of that 395,000. But nope, we persisted for seven years. All the money was gone. Lots of time was wasted. I wish we'd have quit in the first few months. Mm -hmm. Other stuff we've done, I'm so glad we persisted because now it's going great, but it took years to get great. And so you've got to have wisdom. Mm -hmm. You know, Proverbs talks about having wisdom. We've got to have wisdom to know, is this the right path? Is this the one I'm supposed to be on? Or is this a dead end that's leading me nowhere? Mm -hmm. And um, gosh, that's tough. And, and, and it is only through experience uh, where you gain the, enough wisdom to understand what that looks like a little bit better. I mean, we're never perfect and nobody has a crystal ball. You know, we all want the billboard as to what it's going to look like uh, now and on the other side. And yeah, all of us entrepreneurs, we are, we're type A, which by nature means that we are optimists and we yeah, feel like, well, exactly. Well, if things start to go bad, that just means that I need to hunker down. I need to work both harder and yep. smarter, maybe bring some consultants in to help because there's got to be a way through this. Um, but knowing, you know, when to, you know, continue to push on that door and you realize that something or someone is pushing on the other side back equally or harder, yeah. um, you know, to, to, to know when, when is the time to, to, to stop and, and to stop uh, the losses. And, and it's so difficult and we hate to do that, um, you know, again, as entrepreneurs, because we feel like, you know, we're, we can make anything work. If it looked good on paper in the beginning, what could be going wrong now? It must be me. I just need to do something a little bit different. And so uh, certainly I've been in those situations. And then uh, again, that only comes through experience. So I appreciate you sharing that, Paul. It's good advice. And, and we still continue to, uh, I, th I think, struggle to that to this day. But uh, let's talk about um, what what are you seeing right now in the marketplace that has you excited? Um, are, are there opportunities that are being created? Um, you know, on the storage side, we've we've been through the pandemic. Self storage has done extremely well, as we always do, as we go through a recession or when there's you know turmoil and chaos yeah. in, in the marketplace. But what are you seeing, I guess, from an equity standpoint or even a hard asset, a real estate standpoint? What are you seeing trends that get you excited for the balance of 2021 and into next year? Yeah, I'm writing an article right now for Bigger Pockets. It's called The Cheat Code mm -hmm. to Win in Any Real Estate Market. And the point of that, the cheat code, is basically a cheat code is, you know, I guess gamers, and I've never been one. Uh, apparently they can get these codes to jump up several levels in their game. And um, the cheat code could be like, you know, uh, I think it was, what's his name? Michael Burry from The Big Short. He figured out the cheat code to making billions of dollars. And it wasn't really a cheat code as much, as, but he figured it out. 
um, other people, you know, like if you were Elon Musk's family, you might have the cheat code to know the cheat code to knowing when Bitcoin was going to go up or down by 20% based on his next tweet. Well, you know, they call that insider trading, I think. But uh, the cheat code to, to win in any real estate market, I think, is what you do so well. And that is finding intrinsic value in an opportunity and going in, number one, seeing the intrinsic value. Number two, paying the seller a very fair price, and that would be the extrinsic value. And then third, having the team to extract the intrinsic value. And that would mean, you know, basically going into a self-storage facility, like one I'm thinking of was $2.4 million. Five kids were fighting. The parents had passed away. They were running it into the ground. They didn't, I mean, I think that they felt like 2.4 million was a great deal to them. And it, it was a very fair price considering how badly they were running it. Well, within a year, it was valued at 4.6 million. And so, you know, basically in, increasing, you know, getting truck rentals, getting a, a showroom with locks, boxes, tapes, scissors, getting occupancy up, getting rates up. They were like 30% below the market. Adding a website, duh, uh, you know, getting signs, you know, just basically doing stuff that they knew how to extract the intrinsic value that was buried there. Uh, and the, I mean, the U-Haul alone is one of my favorites because, you know, if you know how to figure out the right place to do U-Haul out of, you can really make some money. And then being able to refinance it, it was actually cash up front, 2.4 million cash refinanced at 43% of the new value of 4.6 million. There was only 400,000 cash left in the deal. And then a year after that, when it was sold for 4.6 million, well, that 400,000 cash, you know, walked away with 2.6 million uh, on the other side. That's extracting intrinsic value. And I think that's the best way to win in any market. And again, Scott, you've taught me that in some of your seminars, and I really appreciate that. Well, um, uh, thanks, Paul. And that is a, really the uh, almost the exact way that we're looking at um, this market right now, as well as that there's there's going to be there's always going to be opportunities for creating value and um, looking into these projects that. Um, for whatever reason, are just mismanaged. Um, we have you know, the four Ds uh, occur no matter what the economy is doing, and so we have just been amassing, you know, since two thousand nine and two thousand ten, as we saw the results of <laughs> the Big Short lived out in real life. Uh, we've been amassing uh, a number of private equity partners and growing our war chest and, and preparing for this time because uh, there's always going to be those opportunities. Uh, the good news is is that capital. You know the cost of capital is uh, is light, and so when those opportunities uh, come up, you know we have an, an even greater chance to be able to turn these projects around. So you, um, as you mentioned, you're you're writing an article for Bigger Pockets. Uh, you are a very prolific writer and have uh, actually written a book about investing in uh, self storage. Is it uh, too early to let the cat out of the bag or or share a little no, bit about what's coming? All right. Yeah, uh, the book is, and, and, and I'm so glad for your contribution to it as well. Uh, you were uh, mentioned several times, I believe, and then you wrote a piece of that uh, for me. I don't know if you remember that you did, because it's been a while. But um, anyway, it's called Storing Up Profits, Capitalize on America's Obsession with Stuff by Investing in Self-Storage. And uh, 
the book's broken into three parts. First of all, it's all the economics and the, the, you know, basically the overview of the opportunity. That's the first, let's say 60 pages, the next 50 pages or so. The second part are the detailed strategies, strategy number one, which would be the one we talked about extracting intrinsic value out of an existing facility, which, you know, could be an old Kmart or Sears store. No, excuse me. That's, that's another, that's another strategy, but an old self-storage revamping it. Number two, taking a completely different asset, like a Kmart or Sears and turning that into a great self-storage. Number three, a ground up development. And number four, just the simple model of buying and holding an existing self-storage, uh, just kind of a cash flow coupon clipper. So those are the four strategies. The third part of the book is a little different. We've identified seven different paths that people can take to get into self-storage. I mean, when I looked at it from the outside years and years ago, I thought, you must need millions of dollars to get into this asset class. Well, I found out that you don't have to have millions. You can actually get in it as a, a limited partner in a syndication. And there's six other ways you can get in as a deal finder, a capital raiser, uh, a student in Scott Meyer's mastermind. There's all these different ways to get in. And so the book, the last third of the book explains those seven different paths. Well, uh, fantastic, Paul. And um, yeah, I, I want to just thank you for, it's an honor to be able to be asked to be a part of that and to be able to write for that as well. But kudos to you for uh, putting that all together. I've uh, done a fair amount of writing myself and uh, to take time away from the business as a, an active and passive investor to then you know, dedicate to writing is a no simple feat uh, by any stretch. So um, yeah, we and the rest of the investor community and in self-storage, uh, thank you and applaud you for your efforts. So looking forward thank to it. Thank you. Well, as we wrap up, Paul, um, once again, I just I want to thank you for your time and, and sharing your story and uh, being humble enough to share you know, the mistakes that you've made and, and putting together uh, the podcast for other people to learn from as well. And so um, in that realm, you and I uh, are both um, heading into our, well, let's say the later half. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> of our uh, investment careers. So what, what uh, type of words of advice would you have? Maybe uh, one or two things that you would like to give to folks uh, as a, some of these folks that are just starting their investment career and others that are seasoned, uh, some words of wisdom to live by. Yeah, I'm going to circle back to one of the first things I said, and that is, you know, investing generally beats speculating. Mm -hmm. And here's a few thoughts on that, a little more detail. So Warren Buffett, uh, Jeff Bezos, one of the, if not the wealthiest guy in the world, asked Warren Buffett, he said, Warren, your strategy is not that hard to follow. Why doesn't everybody just copy you? And mm -hmm. Buffett reportedly chuckled and said, no, no, people don't want to get rich that slowly. <laughs> and I think the point was Buffett's life has been so boring. If you look at his life from age eight or nine to now, I mean, one week of his life would just exhaust almost all of us. He, he spends, you know, whatever it is, 10, 12 hours a day, just reading, reading financial statements, reading reports. He doesn't have a computer except to play bridge with. His life has been unbelievably monotonous, yet he's done very, very well. Paul Samuelson's the first um, Nobel Peace Prize winner in economics from the U.S., and he echoed Buffett's words in a different way. He said, true investing should be boring. He said, investing should be like watching paint dry or watching grass grow. If you want excitement, take $800 and go to Las Vegas. 
I, I, I would agree. And, um, you know, the, the, when you mentioned Warren Buffett, the, the first word that comes to mind is discipline. And, um, and I think he has uh, restated that and not only live that out, but uh, just model that for everyone. But uh, you're right. Um, you know, the, everybody always thinks that the grass is greener and uh, they feel like they can do it a little bit quicker, sidestep, side skirt, you know, back door their way into profits. And at the end of the day, it, you know, the path has been laid out. It's a proven model if people are willing to follow it. But um, yeah. patience, patience, patience is a, is a big piece of that if, uh, if people are willing to um, accept that. So um, I appreciate that as well. And so once again, thanks uh, so much, Paul, for spending time with us. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting back together at the, the next mastermind that you and I are a part yeah. of as well. And I welcome you at any time to come back to uh, our mastermind and uh, hang out with our folks again. And uh, I know you've been busy with uh, everything that you have going on, but certainly I welcome that opportunity as well. Yeah. You'll give me the dates. I'd love to be there. I, I always wanted to take my wife to that amazing hotel in downtown Indianapolis <laughs> with the train station that uh, I will, I'll come anytime. So thank All you. Right. Fantastic. Well, Paul, once again, thanks so much. Looking forward to our next meeting. And until then, take care and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Scott. Hey, gang, wait three things before you leave. First, don't forget to subscribe to the Self Storage Podcast and turn on your notifications so you never miss another episode. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review if you like the show. Second, be sure to share your favorite episodes and more via Instagram and don't forget to tag us. And lastly, head to the links in the show description and hit the follow and subscribe button on Twitter and Facebook to get a front row seat as we grow and scale our business and bring you along with us. Take care.